Welcome to Dove and Dragon Radio. I'm your host, ML Roostrock. I'm here with my special guest today, Mike Virgentino. Welcome. Hi, ML. Thank you very much. So we have your book, Freedom Land USA, The Definitive History. What is this about? Well, if uh, anyone who is a baby boomer uh, and who was old enough from 1960 to 1964 and pretty much lived east of the Mississippi, uh, they might remember hearing, if not seeing, a theme park known as Freedom Land USA uh, that rose on marshland uh, in the northern part of New York City in the borough of the Bronx. And Freedomland was an American history theme park, and we could refer to it uh, as America's theme park um, because there has never really been anything like it uh, of its size and scope uh, before and never anything uh, since it ceased to exist uh, after the 1964 season. The the park was uh, created and built by a fellow uh, who was known as Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood. He went by initials just like you. He went by the initials CV. And um, he was in the early stages of the creation of Disneyland. Uh, A a small summary here about uh, Woody, as his friends uh, would refer to him. He was in his very early 30s in in the early 1950s, uh, working uh, for a uh, a research organization out in California when uh, two brothers came in uh, to the firm and said, we'd like to hire you to put together a team uh, to research the feasibility of a theme park here in Southern California. Well, those brothers were Walt and Roy Disney. C.V. Wood is put in charge of this team that did all the research work to see did it make sense to put a theme park in Southern California based on the concept, the imagination of Walt Disney. And uh, they did everything from soup to nuts. They determined uh, how many people would have to come through the park each day to make it profitable. How far would people travel to come to a theme park? You've got to remember, this is now the early 1950s. Not every family had access uh, to a personal vehicle. Would people take a train? Would people uh, stay overnight, which means we might need hotels? Uh, the area that they were looking at, which where Disneyland is located, was not consider, uh, considerably built up at the time. Did they have to extend highways and put on exit and uh, entrance ramps? Um, Woody uh, even so personally selected the property of Disneyland, the property that many of us have visited. It was originally an orange grove, and uh, Woody said, uh, to Walt and Roy, I think this is the property you need to purchase. I think this is where you need to be located. Well, once all that research work was done and Walt and Roy decided to proceed with their uh, project, I think at that time it may have still been unnamed, um, 
they hired Woody away from the research company and technically made him the first Disneyland employee. He became vice president and general manager. His job was to bring Walt Disney's imagination to life and to spe uh, spend uh, the Disney money, uh, which was managed by Roy. Roy was, was the, the business brains uh, of the Disney company, while Walt was the creative, had the creative juices uh, for the company. Well, Disneyland opens, as we know, in 1955. But during this process, there's, uh, like in any organization, especially when you're dealing with creative people, there's a tug of war. And uh, there was such a tug of war between uh, C.V. and Walt and uh, even Walt and Roy. Um, but eventually the Disney brothers and C.V. would have a falling out. Um, about a year after Disneyland opens, they part ways. Those who are loyal to the Disneys said uh, the Disneys fired uh, C.V. Wood. Those uh, who were loyal to Woody, people he had brought in once he started with Disneyland, friends of his from previous uh, organizations where he worked going back into the 1940s, uh, they kind of said, well, uh, Woody decided uh, to leave on his own. Well, what happens is Woody now knows how to build theme parks. He did the. He was in charge of the team that did the feasibility study. He was in charge of the group uh, that worked with Walt Disney to build Disneyland. So he starts his own company to build theme parks across the country. And you might say, well, it's 1956, 57. Disneyland has just opened to this huge national fanfare. Why would we need other theme parks across the country? Right. Well, because... because if wherever you're living at that time, if you're a kid, you're, unless you're in maybe a 50 to 100 mile radius of Disneyland, you're not, chances are you're not going there. Because parents in New York City, in Chicago, Florida, New Orleans, uh, St. Louis, they're not driving cross country. They're not taking on the expense of putting a family of four or a family of five on a plane to go to the West Coast. That wasn't done back then. So uh, a lot of uh, business executives, uh, investors across the country said, well, look what, what Walt and Roy Disney did out there. Why can't we do that in, in our little part of the world? And who better uh, to build these parks than the man who was in in it from the beginning with the Disney brothers, uh, C.V. Wood. Well, C.V. had brought along, after he left Disney, brought along some of the people he had brought into the company, uh, into the Disney fold to build Disneyland. And he also brought along Disney people, uh, including Disney Imagineers. And they started creating parks across the country. Uh, first in Golden, Colorado. Then uh, in Wakefield, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. Then they built Freedomland in uh, New York City. And following Freedomland, uh, Woody and his team were involved uh, in, a, in two other parks. Uh, Six Flags Over Texas, which still exists to this day. And to a lesser extent, Six Flags Over Georgia. 
Uh, after that, Woody and his team went into other kinds of venues, uh, some in Australia, some here in the United States. Uh, a few years later, uh, Woody is involved with another part partner building this very popular community out in Arizona called Lake Havasu. Uh, many people across the country know people who have, when they've settled in Arizona, have settled in Lake Havasu. As a matter of fact, there is a, a bronze statue to Woody uh, there in that community because that community is considered one of the best blends of residential and commercial development anywhere in the country. Woody's team is also involved in the feasibility study for the Riverwalk down in San Antonio. So Woody was involved in a lot of different entertainment venues and other venues during his career. Well, when it comes to theme parks, uh, such as the ones that he created and had built after he left uh, the Disney Brothers, it, uh, Woody didn't manage them. He created them to the specs that the, the local investors and local uh, business executives wanted, and he had the park built. He then moved on to his next project. The management of each park was up to the local management and the local investors. Well, believe it or not, these investors and management people did not have the same um, intelligence, acumen, theme park knowledge mm -hmm. that the Disney brothers had. So each each of those parks, except for the uh, the two I mentioned to you, the Six Six Flags over Texas and the, and then the one in Georgia, the other previous parks no longer exist because they were mismanaged. Uh, the one in Golden, Colorado didn't even last two years. It wasn't even fully completed. By that point, while they were putting the, trying to put the finishing touches on there, Woody had moved to build the one outside of Boston. And that lasted 10 years. It was known as Pleasure Island. It lasted 10 years from 1959 to 1969, uh, but it went through about three bankruptcies and different ownership changes. While that park is opening in 1959, Woody is already in New York City breaking ground in the Bronx for Freedomland USA. Now, his other parks did have some touches of history, uh, authentic uh, steam engines, pirates, um, maybe some local history, but Freedomland and its seven themed attractions were solely about American history. Uh, six of the themed, uh, themed areas had to do with our past history. The seventh had to do with contemporary and future history. It was a mini recreation of Cape Canaveral, and in 1960, it was all about the space race uh, with the USSR. Right. So Woody is building uh, this park here in the Bronx. It's built on marshland, and um, the investors are involved. The landowner is involved. involved. Uh, but Woody doesn't know that they really had other plans for the property. So Woody does his thing with his people and uh, gets the park up and ready for for uh, ribbon cutting and the debut, uh, which was on Father's Day, 
uh, June 19, 1960. Uh, it will be the 60th anniversary this coming June 19th. And by that point, his people were already working on the park in Texas. So uh, what he didn't know was since it was built on marshland, New York City had uh, some urban development issues. As early as the mid-1950s, just as Disneyland was opening up, New York City uh, city planners, politicians, knew that certain areas of New York City were going to uh, collapse. The neighborhoods were going to collapse. Uh, parts of, of the South Bronx, parts of Brooklyn especially. And you may recall uh, in the 1970s uh, when the devastation was broadcast all around the country and around the world about the, the Bronx's burning and the devastation of the South Bronx. Well, they pre uh, predicted this as early as the mid-1950s. And, and why did that happen? Because uh, and we'll, the same issues plagued certain areas, certain neighborhoods of Brooklyn, but I'll just address the issues in the Bronx because that's the neighborhood that I was raised in and where uh, my parents grew up and when my grandparents uh, emigrated from Italy, they settled in the South Bronx in the early 1900s. The South Bronx had old buildings, five- and six-story walk-ups, and uh, they were populated by uh, the immigrants, the Irish, the Italians, the Polish, the Germans, uh, a, a lot of uh, European Jews. Um, and then you go through World War II, which would have been my parents' generation. When my uh, parents were growing up, my father uh, turned 18 uh, the last year and a half of World War II, and he got drafted in. And then right after World War II, you're going into the Korean War. Right. A lot of the servicemen and women uh, who grew up in this area of the Bronx and grew up in certain neighborhoods in Brooklyn have now returned from these two wars. And many of them went in as teenagers or early 20s, and now they're coming back as uh, 24, 26-year-olds. They want to get married. They want to start families. They realize, I don't want to live in the same neighborhood that my grandparents settled 40 years ago. I want that little patch of green. I want that white picket fence. Uh, I want to move a little farther out. Um, whether in the city, Queens was still had still some rural areas uh, in the year, 1950s. Staten Island still had uh, had was really uh, uh, underpopulated at that time and was still uh, very countryish. Um, but also Long Island, they were building houses out on Long Island. They were building houses in the northern suburbs, just north of the Bronx. And the city planners became worried. If these people move out of the city for these other areas, you're going to lose not, not just the residents, but you're going to lose possibly the jobs to the suburbs. You're going to lose the tax base. So the city planners with the politicians decided we had to build several communities, more like, uh, I guess, a city within a city. 
So they bring, uh, they build some apartment developments, one in Queens, one in Brooklyn, and they plan one for this property in the Northeast Bronx. It was on the planning stages even before Woody came in with his people uh, to do the groundbreaking for his Freedom Land Park. But it wasn't known by anybody. And uh, one of the communities was uh, to be called Co-op City, the world's largest uh, cooperative community uh, residents anywhere from 40 to 60,000 people. They were uh, buildings, uh, I'm going to guess off the top of my head, 20 to 25 buildings, anywhere from 25 to 30 stories tall, overlooking uh, Long Island Sound, tucked away up there in the northern part uh, of the Bronx. So basically and they set Woody up to fail. That's correct, because the landowner of the property knew this was going to happen. He was a real estate baron of the day. He was doing development not only across the country. He was doing developments around the world, whether they be commercial developments. Uh, he had mortgages on a lot of the the main office buildings in New York City and other major cities around the country. So he knew his real estate. But what the problem he had, he owned 400 acres of marshland in the Bronx that they couldn't do anything with because the Army Corps of Engineers would not allow them to build anything on the property uh, that was considered permanent because you had every day with the tides coming in uh, uh, from Long Island would come into a bay known as East Chester Bay, Mm -hmm. and East Chester Bay fed into these marshlands. So you had the tides coming in and out, feeding these marshlands uh, since the beginning of time. Uh, uh, since the Ice Age uh, pulled away and, and, and created the, the bedrock and the shape of the New York City area, uh, you had the water coming in and going out of these marshlands. Well, they couldn't wait, meaning the city planners, the politicians, because they knew what was going to happen, especially in the South Bronx. They already had, in the late 1950s, they had the plans for this housing development known as Co-op City, but they couldn't build on the property because the Army Corps of Engineers said, you have to wait 20 years so we can do land studies. We have to drive pilings in the ground, do the pilings move, Uh, how do they shift? Uh, Do they shift every six months, every 12 months? Do they shift every other day? Uh, because before you put permanent structures there, we need to know the, the, what the land is going to be like because those structures could collapse. Well, someone did the arm twisting. The city and the politicians couldn't wait any longer. So someone or a group of someones twisted the arms of the Army Corps of Engineers, and I guess they finally cried uncle. And they said, okay, you don't have to wait to do the 20-year study. If you build uh, small buildings on the property that are two to three stories tall, and these buildings last unblemished for five years, meaning there are no foundation problems, none of the buildings collapse, no wall cracks, no ceiling cracks, no issues at all. They last for five years with no problems. 
we'll give you the variances and you can build these apartment buildings on this marshland. Theme park buildings, if you've got people who go to Disney, they know they're two to three stories tall. The Freedomland buildings lasted exactly five years. The buildings were built so well that there was not an issue with any specific building. And almost five years to the day, the uh, the folks, the management company, the investors of uh, who had invested in Woody's Park, known as Freedomland, uh, they filed for bankruptcy. And in bankruptcy court, they're asked, well, what is now going to happen with the property after you sell off your, uh, you know, pay off your liabilities, sell off the remnants of the park, and they present the plans for this housing development. And that's why this park, a lot of people ask, well, why did the park last only five years? Unbeknownst to Woody and the people, the creative people and the builders who put it together, unbeknownst to my parents, unbeknownst to all of us, the kids at the time, it was only supposed to last five years so they could develop the land. That, uh, well, this happens in politics all the time, unfortunately. They contract things for one project, let it see if it has any interest, go bankrupt and put something bigger there. That's absolutely correct. And Disney uh, and Freedomland was was billed uh, in their marketing as the Disneyland of the East. Uh, part of because it it was it had a had had a number of similarities to Disneyland because Woody worked there. Woody built Disneyland, um, but also because he brought some Disney people with him. Uh, one of the major uh, uh, attraction developers for Disneyland, well, Woody got to know when he was building that park, he brought that company to Freedomland. So uh, uh, there are a lot of similarities in the attractions. Of course, Freedomland did not have the Disney characters, did not have access to the Disney movies. So it was strictly based on American history, recreating American history in an entertaining way. And uh, it and people to this day couldn't believe that the park was like in a blink of an eye the park was gone. Especially those of us who were kids at the time, because it was the greatest thing to be ever to be created. Because no one from the East Coast, or very few, you could probably count the, your friends. You could probably count on a couple of fingers on one hand how many of them were ever going to get to Disneyland. Uh, But people did flock from pretty much everywhere east of the Mississippi River. People did flock to Freedomland because in addition to visiting Freedomland, you're visiting New York City. So people would use it as a summer vacation opportunity. Uh, So the park was uh, could have been successful. Uh, It was discovered years. after they declared the bankruptcy about 19, which they did in 64, in about 1965, a uh, a fellow who owned a couple of parks in upstate New York bought some of the attractions from Freedom Land. He also bought some of the backroom materials, such as chairs and desks and file cabinets. Well, he ends up finding uh, 
some some of the books in one of the file cabinets. He found two sets of attendance record books and two sets of financial books. And it has been determined that they lowballed the attendance to help drive it into bankruptcy. And uh, the financial books, they were skimming off the top in order to, again, drive the park into the ground, where uh, they also were showing that a lot of people were going. Attendance was higher than they, than they were stating publicly. And uh, they were actually making more money than they stated publicly. Wow. That that is politics one or one right there. <laughs> I mean that is correct. And you also had it ended up that the fellow uh, who owned the land, this big real estate baron, his name was William Zeckendorf. He owned this company. He started working with the company that owned the land in the 1940s. Eventually, the principals of the company retire, and he buys them out, and he owns the property. Uh, when he comes into this uh, land. Um, and he has connections all over the country. He knew the Disney brothers very well. At one point, he said to help make it successful, he tried to get Walt and Roy Disney to invest in Freedomland, uh, which they declined to do. Um, it might have been a different story. The Freedomland might have still existed if the if the Disneys had uh, uh, substantially invested in this New York City park. Um, very true. But. Uh, William Zeckendorf and his company also start getting uh, into financial difficulty after Freedomland opens, about two, a year or two after Freedomland opens, because he becomes overextended in all his real estate dealings around the world. Well, he ends up selling 30 acres of the Freedomland Park to the pension fund of the Teamsters Union. So now you have a major American union involved, and all they want out of the park, besides everyone in the park who worked there, uh, almost everyone had to be a union member. That's just New York City politics. You have to join a union. But the Teamsters Union was clamoring because they, uh, they knew uh, that this housing development was already on the blueprints, was uh, they were just waiting for the green light to go ahead. They were clamoring for these construction jobs uh, to build this housing development. And here they go going into the, uh, the, the bankruptcy of Freedom Land and the building of the housing development. They end up owning 30 acres of the property. Kind of lucrative for them. Mm-hmm. Right, because if they own the property, now when the property, the whatever's going up goes up, now they can have it as a landowner and either sell it or rent the land. That That is correct. But what they do end up doing, uh, of course, as one of, as the Teamsters, as one of the major unions, of course, they got the bulk uh, of the jobs uh, to, to build this housing development. Uh, but what they ended up doing that it ended up becoming quasi-public housing. It was partially funded by New York State investment bonds, and the, one of the first things that had to be done was they had to buy out the property now, uh, the portion of the property now owned by the pension fund of the Teamsters Union. And not only did they make their money back on their investment, they made more money on it. Yeah, 
yeah, let's make more money because that's what the Teamsters and stuff needed back in the 1960s and 50s. That's correct. That, that is correct. So that's the story of, uh, in a nutshell, is Freedomland. It was built and, and why it only lasted five years. Woody's Park in 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 uh, Arlington, Six Flags Over Texas. Now that's going to be celebrating, I think it's 58th or 59th year this year. And though the original owner, uh, the, the fellow who wanted uh, the investor uh, and the business owner who wanted to bring a park to this area has passed away a long time ago, and the uh, and the park has changed hands num- a number of times. The reason that was successful is because the original investor, the original owner, wanted the park built on a solid business plan. He had a long-range plan for this. Uh, Initially, they thought the park would only last a couple of years, again, to make the property more valuable for other development. But after a couple of years, they saw the park was so successful, and people from Texas and surrounding states were, were, were flocking to this theme park. They, he decided not to develop the land and just to keep expanding the park. But it, the park was originally built on solid business plan and solid uh, financial in, investment, and that's why that park has survived all these years. Well, that's always a wonderful thing. So <laughs> since we only have a few minutes left, where can our listeners find you, find out more about Freedom Land and whatever else you're up to? Okay, well, what they could do, if they're on social media, we have a Facebook page, uh, Freedom Land USA, the world's largest entertainment center been going for 10 years and we just don't post pictures on there uh, of an attraction i go into the history of the people behind it who made these attractions uh, uh, who were the creative people behind the park it's really a, a history facebook page about the park there are also similar pages on instagram and twitter and i just launched earlier uh, this week a uh, a pinterest page and we're going to be populating that over the next couple of months. And if anyone is interested in uh, 300 packed pages of the history, uh, as we say, the definitive history of Freedom Land, uh, they can find the book uh, online, Amazon, Goodreads, Walmart, any online retailers would will have the book. And it is just meeting with so many wonderful uh, comments from baby boomers, baby boomers who just said, "Oh my God, this is my park. I never knew why uh, all of a sudden it was gone." You've brought back so many memories, and and you're telling now the story of 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 what happened to that park. So uh, so it's been a fun ride. Awesome. I mean, it's always fun when we can connect people to their history. It's always fun when we fill in the gaps of why something that we loved is no longer there. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And plus, for so many of these people, they were either uh, kids like myself. I grew up right outside the park. Uh, You know, we were seven, eight, nine years old. But then there were older kids who were teenagers, maybe uh, like 17, 18, who worked at the park. 
and they have different memories. And because of the, uh, though I interview a number of employees uh, for the park, as soon as the book came out, many more employees found out about it and contacted me and are providing me with their stories. Uh, and I'm, I'm gathering enough that I think in a year or two we'll have a follow-up to this book with many more stories, especially a lot of behind-the-scenes stories, because I'll be talking to more former employees. Awesome. Because we need more information about our history, especially when we the baby boomers, my mom being one of them, there's so many. And what do they like to do when they retire, read? Go back and reminisce about history, or not history, history, but their history. But their history, yeah. their memories uh, right. from uh, their old neighborhoods and the, and the things they did with their friends when they were kids or teenagers. Exactly, and that's why this book has resonated uh, so well with so many people. Uh, uh, I would say every week I hear from one or two other people who just found the book and contact me through through the social media and say thank you for bringing this book. It, I, I I read it in one sitting because they it, it was just every just about every page every flip of a page it's another wow moment something people didn't know uh, uh, the backstories about the park. Correct. And there's a lot of things that we don't know. I mean, you have Walt Disney in there. How many people knew that the two were related, sort of? No, I mean, no one knows. When, when I, I do a lot of presentations in the New York City area, and when I, uh, I put up a picture of C.V. Wood, and I say, how many people know who this person is? Very rarely does a hand go up. Yeah. I said, well, you need to know this man. This is the man who built Disneyland for Walt Disney. And everyone looks shocked. Yeah. Everyone thinks Walt Disney built Disneyland. Well, yeah, it was Walt Disney's imagination, but this mm-hmm. is the man who pulled it all together for him. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so, not just one person that builds a theme park. There's hundreds. That's right. So I said, well, this is the you're here. We're here to talk about Freedomland today, the park that you loved as a teenager, as a kid. I said, Now you know the connection to Disneyland because it's this man that I'm going to tell you about today. And and they're amazed. I get a lot of wows uh, when I go through the presentation about the park because it's things that just just people didn't know. And why would we know it? We went to the park as kids to have fun. Yes, we learned a little bit about history. Or we were teenagers and it was a job. And we were having fun after hours with friends that we met. We didn't think of all this behind-the-scenes uh, story of the park. But now that we're older, we're interested in it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we always want to know more when we get older than we do when we're kids and we're there. Of course. But of it was course. a pleasure talking to you today. I mean, I would never have known about Freedom Land because it was well be- before my time. Sure, so, sure. So thank you for educating but, me. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for inviting me uh, to chat about uh, the place that I loved growing up. Uh, the interesting story is now Freedom Land is now finding its rightful place in America's theme park history uh, because of the connection of wood to uh, the Disneys. And even though the, the Disneys are considered the first uh, uh, the uh, the creators of the first modern theme park, 
uh, and then we go into all the coaster parks that we have today. Well, there was something in between, and it was these other parks, including Six Flags Over Texas, that were created by C.V. Wood, and Freedom Land is, is part of that story. Sounds wonderful. So, well, thank you so much. And wherever my baby boomers are, get this, because if you are east of the Mississippi, I guarantee you know something about this one park. So, again, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Well, thank you, ML. I, I appreciate the invite, and I always love to talk and chat about Freedom Land. <laughs> Sounds wonderful, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too.